caught yourself feeling, gosh, I wish um, I felt a little bit more connected to City Light. I wish there was a way that I could really, really dig in. Community groups is your answer. This is the way to do that. Um, we get to meet with one another and share in our, our joys and our trials with one another. And we also get to receive more of the word throughout the week, which we desperately need. So um, if you are not part of a community group, you can do so by, join one by um, the, looking at the iPad uh, at the welcome table. And I think we're actually starting a new group in the South Bay. So if you're in that region, that might be a great opportunity for you to get plugged in there. Um, Beer and God uh, is our next one. And this is something that I attend every week uh, with Pastor Dennis. And I want to say this is something that I greatly look forward to every week. It's it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, If you don't know, Beer and God is, uh, it's it's a a safe place for people who um, are unchurched or who have a lot of doubts or hurts from the church. Um, And they're on a spiritual journey. They're really curious about this idea of God. Um, but they're not, not ready to don the doors of a church. But they'll come to beer in God, and they'll ask questions. It's a safe place to, to, to voice your doubts or um, hurts. And um, people are eager to be a part of these philosophical conversations because we go, we go so deep. And Pastor Dennis does a really great job facilitating and leading that. So, um, yeah, and right now we're going through a book called uh, Reason for God uh, by Tim Keller. Really, really great content. Um, but yeah, if you know anybody um, that you think would really benefit from being a part of a group like this, uh, who's ready to engage with the gospel in a, in a new way, come see me and talk to me and get me in, uh, in contact with that person, or you can tell uh, Pastor Dennis as well. Uh, yeah, that would just be a really great opportunity for them to engage with the gospel. So, um, And thirdly, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we also have... Uh, the sermons on pad- podcasts. Things come up, sometimes you miss Sunday service, and you know instead of just missing a, a crucial part of the series, you can actually dial in and listen to the podcast. Uh, it's, I can find it on my pad- podcast by looking up City Light Church Los Angeles, and then you'll see like by Dennis Kang. Um, or you can go on the website, and under sermons, you can click a direct link from there. And the website's also a really good place to... Um, see announcements and to uh, give a tithe, give offerings. Um, yeah, so there's lots of great stuff on the website there as well. Um, okay, great. So um, let's all greet each other at the joy of the Lord and dismiss our children. All right, well, 
During this time, we have a time of uh, confession. This morning, uh, Brent, as he comes up, he's going to talk to us about worship. And this prayer of confession has to do with the, things, the other things that we worship, which are besides God. Idolatry is essentially worshiping things uh, other than God, like they are God. Idolatry is worshiping good things and making them into great things or ultimate things. And so this prayer of confession is just a short prayer about things that we often use that replace God, that our mind and our heart tends to be over-focused on, that keep us from the presence of God. So we're going to pray this corporate prayer of confession. Then we're going to spend some time just by ourselves, in silence, in God's presence, bringing our hearts to him. So let's pray this prayer of confession. God, our city and neighborhood, bow down to many idols. Power, wealth, reputation, comfort, personal achievement, and more. Have mercy, O Lord, and forgive us. Turn our hearts away from these idols and back toward you, our true God and Savior. Amen. Amen. Why don't we spend some time then in personal and private confession? Would you hear now the word of God's grace from Isaiah 43? I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Amen. Would you receive the wonderful grace, unconditional forgiveness in Christ Jesus, our King? Amen. Amen. During this time, we have a sermon. We're going through a sermon series on the Psalms called Spiritual Practice for Your Soul. And this morning, our director of community, Brent, he's going to be giving us the word on worship, the practice of worship. Well, good morning. That was weak. Good morning. And it's great to be with you guys. Uh, I'm excited to chat with you guys this morning. Um, Our text today is out of Psalm 145. We'll have that on the screen. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you're welcome to open that. Um, But let me read this text to you. I'm excited about this text because this text today, we're going to talk about the practice of worship and that idea of praise. And uh, I think this is something that is going to be exciting to dig into. So let's read the text together today. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise, excuse me, every day I will bless you and praise your name. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. 
They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Let me pray for us today. God, thank you for this reading of your word that, that brings us life, brings us joy, brings us just an overwhelming image of the great God we serve. And this morning, God, as we just dig into your word, I pray that you will just open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, our ears. Lord, allow us to be completely available and present with your spirit in this room today, that we may learn from you and that we may be changed as we leave this place today. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, Dennis began a new series in the book of Psalms where we're going to be focusing on reading through this incredible collection of prayers and praises and and meditations. It's an absolutely poetic book of the Bible. It's incredible to read, but not only read, to dig into and know. And um, the book of Psalms is really kind of following the plight, the journey of an exiled Jews, a group of Jews that are exiled. And they know, and they've been told over and over and over that their God is great. He has their back. He's going to protect them. He's going to care for them. But they still are faced with all of these things in life that are challenging. They face death and destruction. They face fears, anxieties, wars. They, fear, they, they face confusion and distractions. And so the book of Psalms is both something that is, is very honest and something that is very uplifting, And it's this opportunity that we get to see as we read through Psalms to really kind of find ourselves in it, because as you read the Psalms, you see that those who wrote the Psalms really had a lot of the same issues we had, a lot of the same doubts, a lot of the same confusion, a lot of the same concerns. But in everyday life, we're reminded God is in control. And the Psalms eventually, in every capacity, focus on the praise of God. You know, much of Psalms shows us what hurts but it also shows us the goodness and the hope we have in God. Psalms teaches us the true meaning of worship, glorifying God whether times are good or bad because he's good and deserving of it, whether we feel close or far away from him, whether we're filled with peace or fear. To worship is to give God glory in the midst of all of it, to meet with him and see him as he is and allow him to change us. We've been talking a lot about liturgy and this whole sermon series is about the practice of sacred practices, the idea of us putting things into place, these liturgical daily practices that change us, all the way from being here this morning on a Sunday morning to every day of the week, having opportunities to pray, to meditate, to praise. So liturgy is meant to change us, and our daily sacred practices should change us. If they aren't, we need to reevaluate exactly what's taking place. As we spend time With God, the Holy Spirit moves within us. Things happen. And today we're talking about specifically the practice of worship. 
And at the end of the day, worship and being in the presence of God and praising him and resting in him is transformational. It's very transformational. Worship is highly participatory. Here's some reasons why it's transformational. In our short time together today, what have we done? We've worshiped through reading, responding, singing, praying. Our worship is very participatory. When we participate in engaging with the presence of God, things take place in our life. Worship is highly experiential. In our times of worship, we experience the presence of God, and those moments lead to the change in our lives as we respond to God. Worship engages our whole person. We bring everything into our moments with God, our bodies, our emotions, our hearts, our minds, and when all of those are present in the presence of God, we're changed. And most importantly, worship transforms us because worship is Christ-centered. Worship is a very intentional way we spend time in the presence of God, and we should always expect that our practice of worship should transform us and change us. Worship has to be a part of our daily liturgy. In all of our psalms, we see that it was a part of the daily practice of the psalmist. Look at verse 2 of our text today. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Every single day I bring you praise now and through eternity. Worship becoming a part of our daily lives does not happen when we spend an hour a week on a Sunday morning practicing it. It's something that happens as we spend daily committed time before God. Worshiping God through acts of obedience, prayers, singing, through a disciplined daily liturgy of sacred rituals is required. No day must pass, even busy days, even days faced with sorrow and disappointment, even days were called, even those days were called to worship in all of it. Uh, Even our text today, Psalm 145, was written in a way that speaks to daily practice. Uh, Psalm 145 is one of a handful of psalms that was written in alphabetical order with the Hebrew alphabet. What does that mean? Well, take it, for instance, in English. The first line in Psalm 145 would start with an A. The second line would start with a B. The third line would start with a C, and so on. They did this because when you did that, it was an easier way to remember things, to bring to memory, to keep to mind, A, I start with it. Okay, what is B? I can remember that. And this kind of practice of writing a passage based on the Hebrew alphabet was so that it could become part of your daily liturgy. It was so that you could remember the words at any moment, word for word, because worship was a part of daily liturgy in that community, in that time, and it should be today, a daily sacred practice that seeks to draw us closer to God and allows the work of God to take place in our lives. So this morning, I want to just dig into two simple questions, and you may already have some answers for these questions. These aren't complex questions, but ultimately, I'm hopeful that these questions will lead us to an understanding of how to better practice worship in our daily lives. So the two questions I want to answer today are this, who should we worship and how should we worship? So who should we worship? This is probably going to be a real simple one. (laughs) There's no hidden secret here. We worship the King of Kings, we worship the God of Gods, the one true Savior. We worship Him and Him alone. The Psalms continually remind us of who God is and His greatness and why we worship Him, because He is great, He is our Savior, He is Lord over all. The passage today in 145 says things over and over and over that show to us the greatness of God. Look at verse 3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness 
is unsearchable. Not only is God great, but because he's great, he's the greatest, so he deserves the greatest of praise, and no one can even compare him to anything else that should be praised or that is even great. We worship God because he's great. And here's some reasons he's great that, is, that our passage today shows us. The Lord is great because of his mighty acts. Look at verse four and five. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. This is an incredible verse because what's being told here is that God has done incredible things throughout history and those things are passed along to the next generation. The next generation is stories of what God's done in and through us us. And we declare those things to the next generation, to those around us, because he has proven himself to be mighty through the way he has acted and worked in and through us. The Lord is great also because of his attributes. We hear of his attributes all over scriptures. Verse 8 and 9 here in our passage says, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. God is gracious, merciful, patient, loving. He's good to all. In fact, Psalm 119 says that not only does God do good, but God himself is good. His attributes make him great and worthy of our praise. And the Lord is great because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. From the beginning to the end, God has always been king. He has always been in control. His kingdom is here, now, present in the past and the future for eternity. And Psalm 145 just goes on and on and on talking about how great God is. And here's some quick things. The Lord is great because of his care of all of his creatures. Look at this. Verse 14 says God lifts those who have fallen. Verse 15 says God feeds us in our times of need. Verse 16 says God satisfies our every desire. Verse 17 says God is righteous and kind. Verse 18 says God is near to those who call. Verse 19 says God hears those who cry out in fear and he saves them. And verse 20 says God preserves those who love him. Verse after verse in Psalm 145 and all through the Psalms, we see the declaration of God's greatness because he's good, because he's merciful, because he has done things in and through us and will continue and because his kingdom reigns forever and he loves us in an incredible way. So we know who we worship. That's not a surprise to us in this room. But how do we worship? Well, there's many ways to worship, but I want to just focus on a couple aspects of how we worship today. And one of those that we hear about a lot, because uh, King David wrote many of the Psalms, and we hear over and over and over that King David was a man after God's own heart. And we see kind of the purity of King David's worship as he came before God, both in honesty and lament and and concern. And there was much sin and pride in David's life that he was consistently coming to God with things that didn't seem of much value, but God blessed him because he came wholeheartedly. He came wholeheartedly with every part of his being before God in honest worship. And that's one of the ways we should worship wholeheartedly. About half of the Psalms are prayers and about half of the Psalms are praises. A hundred percent of the Psalms are raw and honest. I'm excited in a couple weeks, Pastor Dennis is going to talk about the practice of prayer in our lives. And I think the practice of worship and prayer are going to go hand in hand. And you'll see that as you hear from him. Um, A little opinion here, much of today's Christian music, um, even much of the worship songs we sing tend to be kind of feel good. 
And uh, the lyrics speak to the, the good aspects of our faith. And many times that's very encouraging. I, I enjoy the, the positivity of what we sing and say in our worship songs and what is sung and said in Christian music. But sometimes even when the songs speak of God meeting us in times of need, there's still an underlying tone of going ahead and not being true to our feelings. True worship comes from the heart. True worship happens when we're in a bad place or a good place. Even when we're in a bad place, worship can still happen. I think we need to be faithful to coming wholeheartedly with all our doubts, anxieties, all our failures, our sin, all the things we believe Christ can conquer, um, but we're still frustrated about because they're a part of our life, the relationships that are broken and the things we're thinking about that we need to mend and make right. In the midst of all of those wrongdoings, those concerns, those disbeliefs, those failures, do we worship? Yes. We worship just as the psalmist did. I love this quote by a theologian named Matthew Henry. It speaks to the commitment the psalmist had to praise God no matter what. Here's what it says. What others do, the psalmist will himself be much in praising God. To this good work, he here excites himself, engages himself, and has his heart much enlarged in it. What he does, that he will do, having more and more satisfaction in it. It was his duty and it was his delight. Even in the midst, when we read through Psalms, when we read through all the verses that are going on and we see the the despair at times and then we see the praise, all of that is coming from a place of being faithful because it's our duty to worship and it's our delight to worship even when things are not good. Look at the verses in Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. That heart might not be in a place that's very good when you start that moment in time with God, but you come to him with that whole heart, and then you recount all of his wonderful deeds. You take time to realize the greatness of our God and the works and his attributes And through that, you will find that you are glad and exult and you're singing praises to the one person you recognize as the most high. Our worship includes our whole heart. Every intention, desire, thought, good or bad, is brought before God. It's laid at his feet. And we willingly choose, even in our darkest of hours, to remember what God has already done for us. And the hope we have in him And even in the midst of our greatest confusion or unbelief, we faithfully worship the great God we know. When our hearts feel it the least, when we come to a place of worship and we don't feel like worshiping, we feel far from God, we feel in a dark place, that's the time we most need to spend time in his presence and give him honor and praise. Now, let me be honest, this is difficult. We kind of tend to keep emotions out of a lot of things that we call spiritual because we don't want to mess that up. We feel like our emotions can kind of take control of things. And we talk about worship and singing songs and praising. It can be a very emotional time. We tend to either be quick to accept our emotions in something or reject our emotions in something. And in the practice of worship, we tend to put up a little wall against emotions. 
Sometimes we feel we're too emotional and then our worship becomes about us. Um, I love an interaction I read about that Francis, Pastor Francis Chan had with a church member once. This church member came up to him after a morning worship service and said, you know, I really didn't like the worship service this morning. To which Francis replied, well, that's okay because we weren't worshiping you. Other times... Maybe our emotions aren't invested enough in what we're doing. We sing songs or pray prayers that are full of words, but they lack true depth, true honesty. They aren't an expression of what we are really feeling. So we want to be wholehearted in our worship, but just like being wholehearted in our worship, another way we practice worship is to practice in balance. And this speaks very strongly to emotion because when you read through Psalms, there is some despair and then there is some excitement and praise. There are an, there's an ebb and flow of emotions that happen all throughout the worship in Psalms. And Psalms speaks to kind of this balance of moving from one place to another and allowing it all to be included. Uh, Psalms 96 commands the singing of a new song, but then it includes within it the words from an old song. Psalm 100 demands both shouting and thinking. Psalm 32 recounts confession and rejoicing. Psalms 149 mixes dancing and speaking. It mixes worship and warfare. Psalm 95 integrates singing with recounting and extolling with bowing down. And Psalm 34 begins with individual praise and then invites the gathered community to join in in praise. It truly is a balance in worship, and Psalm shows us this. Our worship is a natural ebb and flow where we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually involved from start to finish. Now, I want to take a moment and focus on the last kind of two little sections there, Psalm 95 and Psalm 34. Psalm 95 speaks about singing and bowing down, and there's this part of worship that I want to talk a little bit about that might kind of speak to an elephant in the room a little bit. And that is that oftentimes what we consider worship is what we do on Sunday morning when we sing a few songs. We consider it ours. This this is the time we're worshiping. We're singing. And singing is very much a part of worship. But more than that, our wholehearted body, our minds, our emotions, everything's coming together. The tools of worship are not just musical instruments, but also our own bodies. Psalms talks about, in a very detailed way, how we are to use our bodies in worship, and not just how we're to use them, but that we are to use them in worship. Here's some things it talks about singing. We've been doing that this morning. Psalm 96, one through two says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, daily sing to God. Here's another thing it says about our bodies, clapping. Psalm 47, one says, clap your hands, all peoples, shout to God with loud songs of joy. It also says shouting there. Yes, that's okay. We can do that. Dancing, Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So you see how the body is involved as much as the instruments are involved. Psalm 63.4 talks about lifting hands. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And Psalm 95.6 speaks to kneeling and bowing down. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. So using our bodies in worship can truly change the dynamic of what is going on in us 
and around us if we're in a corporate setting. Using our bodies in worship is an expression of what's going on in our hearts, both in times of joy and in times of sorrow, from hands lifted high in praise to bowing on our knees in confession. And sometimes choosing to use our bodies in expression during our worship reminds us of what should be going on in our hearts. Sometimes we come to church and we're not necessarily ready to get rolling, but raising our hands reminds us of the great God that we serve, and all of a sudden, our hearts are becoming a part of what we're doing. So the larger elephant in the room, some of us are uncomfortable or even embarrassed to lift a hand, to kneel, to clap in a corporate environment like this. It can be a little intimidating. And let's be honest, some of us are really comfortable with all that and more. We have both varieties in this space. So I want to speak to both of you real quickly. For those of us that are more comfortable with being expressive with our bodies, please continue to teach us how to worship in that expressiveness. You have much to show us. Those of us who don't feel comfortable with physical expression during worship, if you're a physical worshiper, please be faithful to your comfort and show us what it means to raise hands, to kneel, to clap, to bow. Show us what it means to dance. We need to learn. We need to know that City Light is a place that allows for and encourages using our bodies in corporate worship, and you can show us that and set an example for us. Now, for those of us that are uncomfortable or embarrassed, let me encourage you today. You're not alone. In fact, you're probably in the majority. You're not being watched. You're not being judged. You're in a safe place that allows for a physical expression of worship. City Light is a place where we encourage that. I want to encourage you to learn to be more physically expressive. I don't know what that means to you, but sometimes we need to practice things privately to be comfortable enough to express them publicly. So I would encourage all of us in our private times of worship to begin practicing bodily expression, raising our hands, kneeling, clapping, bowing down, whatever that is. I would encourage you to practice that. And let's see what God does in those private times and those vulnerable times, and then let's bring them in confidence here to our corporate worship. And let's share what God is doing in our heart in the way we express it during our worship time. We can and should be faithful to a physical expression of worship in our times of praise, in our times of songs, in our times of response and singing and reciting on Sunday mornings. We should be. And I encourage you to be a part of that. And we also have a privilege in being example to our children. Here at City Light, we have our kids with us during worship. And what an amazing Amazing moment in time that we're able to demonstrate true biblical expressive worship to them. And in being faithful to express ourselves in this corporate setting, we're teaching our next generation how to praise and how to be expressive. So I've been speaking a little bit about um, worshiping in private, and we're talking about a practice that is not just a Sunday morning, but all through the week. And we've been heavy on the, hey, we have Monday through Saturday. We need to work hard on Monday through Saturday. We're always here on Sunday together. We get our time of singing and teaching and fellowship in, and Monday through Saturday is when we kind of struggle with our disciplines, our liturgy, those things that should continually change us, and that is important. But I do want to speak to the corporate time we spend to here. I want to continue to speak to that. 
The other verse that was talking about balance was in Psalm 34, and it talks about how it started with individual praise, and then it it ended up being an invitation for others around to gather together, the community to join in. And understanding that there is a balance in worship, that from Monday through Saturday, we are in private times of prayer and meditation and praise. We are doing that. We are committed to that. That's part of our liturgy. It's our discipline. That... There's also the balance of being here on Sunday morning and being faithful to this time together and coming to this place for the reason of worship. So why do we meet every week in worship? Um, John Piper had a great quote. I'll read that to you. The reasons Christians go to church on Sunday is because we have been rescued from our sins, united with a risen, living Christ, and with each other through faith in Jesus. And because of that union with Jesus and with each other, the Bible... God's word calls us to regular weekly expressions of our corporate joy and thankfulness before God in worship. Not just isolated Christian individuals scattered around, but corporate gatherings, praying and singing and hearing God's word and celebrating the ordinances of Jesus. Christian growth is not just something that we take away as a sermon application and apply to our lives that week. Our faith is deepened in our private times, but it's deepened as well as we come alongside others in worship and we choose to engage in God's presence with other like-minded people. When we engage in corporate worship, we can expect God to not only change our minds, but our hearts as well. God shows up in powerful ways when we worship together. The Spirit of God is here when we're in this place and we're corporately learning and growing and being changed together. Um, When I was a junior in high school, had the chance to go with my family to China. We stayed in an area of China called Guilin. And we were there with missionaries that our church sponsored and supported. And one of the days we had the opportunity, my dad, myself, and the missionary had the chance to go out and visit a home church. Um, Much of China is, uh, is uh, the church is underground because it's illegal and it's not allowed. Christianity is frowned upon and it, it's looked down on by uh, the government. And so churches are kind of underground. They happen at homes in different places. And yet at the same time right now, the body of Christ is growing most rapidly in the country of China. It's incredible what God is doing there right now. Well, we were walking down this back alleyway. It was kind of a bustling small street. There was activity going on, shopping, retailers. There were kind of two-story buildings on each side, and the missionary said that the church is here somewhere. We need to find it. And he said, why don't you guys walk that way, and I'll walk this way, and then we'll flag each other down if we find it. And, and we're like, what are we looking for? And he said, well, just, just listen, look, pay attention. It'll be evident when you see it. And so my dad and I are walking down, and and so there's so much going on around us, and then all of a sudden we start to notice we're hearing singing, and we listen closer, and as we walk a little farther, we definitely notice there's a group of people singing up there, and then we realized this is a hymn we know. And so we flagged down the missionary and brought him over, and he went upstairs real quick and then came back down and said, yeah, this is the place, come on up. So we walked up into this room. The room was probably about a quarter of the size of this theater, and there were about 100 people in it. 
and just smushed together standing, praising, singing. It was incredible energy. And we were there for a couple hours, and it was this period of time where sometimes we were sitting, sometimes we were standing. Um, I didn't know the language. I still don't know the language, but you could tell what was going on. There were times definitely where people were sharing stories of testimony. There were times where people were reading verses. There was definitely a leader, the pastor of the group, that was sharing and teaching some things. And then all of a sudden, someone around the room would start singing, and everybody would stand up, and we'd sing together. And it was this incredible moment in time of energy. I just remember being in that place in awe of what was going on. The people were so engaged with that moment. And the more and more we learn about the church in China, we realize that the church in China is growing not because of great advertising or social media. It's not growing because there's dynamic pastors and teachers. It's not growing because the best worship team is down the street at this place. It's growing because of the praise and worship and continuing dedication of people in their private lives. Just like we heard that hymn walking down the alleyway Others in that community would hear that hymn and go, what's going on? And they'd go up to that room and they'd share that time in the presence of God and they would be changed and come to know him. God does incredible things when we meet together. And it was incredible to watch them so engaged in that moment. Everybody just eyes wide open to what was next. What else can we do to recognize God and spend more time in his presence? Now, if you're like me, It can be easy to show up on a Sunday morning in a bit of a haze, a bit of a fog. You know, the craziness of the week, schedules, work, school, it leaves us all a bit tired and out of sorts by the end of the weekend. And often we come here a little tired, a little lifeless, and maybe a bit brain dead, but but we're committed. We want to come. We want to be here. And um, Psalm 73 kind of speaks to this a little bit about bringing... um, bringing ourselves to a place of being willing to meet, of being faithful to stay, but then seeing how God works in that moment. In Psalm 73, um, the psalmist is, comes to worship, and when he comes to worship, there's so much distraction in his head. He's so frustrated about things. There's stuff going on in his life and in around him. The whole time he's in worship, he's sitting before God. He has a chance to praise him and to pray and to spend moments. No, what is he doing? He's complaining about things. He's talking about other people and other situations. He's not even focusing on God. He's just complaining. Look at verses 16 and 17. The first 15 verses, he's just complaining, complaining, complaining. And then all of a sudden, it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He had this craziness going on in his life, and he brought it in. He was faithful to show up. He showed up. He's worshiping. He came to the sanctuary of God. He started that whole thing by just kind of letting it all out. But those moments of faithful showing up, of discipline, allowed God to meet with him and start to change his heart where he realized, wait a minute, this is, this is too wearisome for me. This is not for me. He was so distracted and frustrated. But by the end of that chapter, this psalmist was completely focused on the greatness of God and his praise was awakened. Look at verse 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
our practice of daily worship requires a private time of engaging with God, those moments will be revealing and life-changing. Show up to them over and over and over. In the same way, showing up to the temple, showing up to church, showing up to corporate worship allows us to experience God together in ways that not only changes us as individuals, but changes us as a church. Imagine this, this, this amazing kind of circular thing of as God goes in the lives of us who attend City Light in our private lives, in our daily liturgy, and then we bring that to Sunday morning, there goes the church of City Light. And then we learn things here and we are changed here and we take that back to our private life and we're changed there and come back here and experience that together. Imagine what will take place as we practice worship. So to close today, I want to speak to just one little short aspect of our praise, of our practice of worship. We've talked a little bit about who we worship. We've talked about how we worship. But I haven't said why we worship. We should always know why. Well, the why is the saving grace of God through Son Jesus. See, God isn't looking for a bunch of little minions to kind of follow him around saying good things about him. God desires that his creation would follow him and know him. But we messed that up. Sin became a part of our life. We were separated from God. So what happened? God sent a perfect son, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect savior to take our place, to redeem us, that our relationship with him would be healed and that we would be made whole and that all would be made new. That's why we worship. We worship in gratitude. We worship in surrender to the saving God, the king of kings, our mighty savior, That's why we worship. Let me pray for us today. God, thanks for this time together. Lord, as we even now end our service with a time of communion, a time of singing, Lord, we continue to be faithful in this moment to you and to these moments of worship. God, our daily practice our daily disciplines, those sacred disciplines, Lord, those should change us. Lord, I pray that they do. And I pray that every day as we show up, wherever, wherever we're at, however good we feel about life or bad we feel about life, that when we show up, God, that we are faithful to rest in you because I know in those moments, God, you're gonna do some incredible things in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, change us today. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brent, for that 